Welcome to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa. In this podcast, I speak to a household name about what home really means to them. Is it their childhood home? Is it the dish that a family member has perfected and cooks like no other person? Or is it something less tangible? To try and understand this sense of home, we touch on four key elements, which are a person, a place, a phrase, and a plate. So for me, one of them would be a place, and it sounds really obvious, but it's more of a landmark, I guess. It's the Thames. If I think about what really makes me feel like I'm back home, looking down on a plane as it's about to land, going on a run or going over a bridge, and that moment when you look out at the Thames, there's such a feeling of, like, memory, of belonging, and just kind of, like, feeling like you're at home and just feeling really lucky to live in an amazing city like London. So that's my one. But what is my guest going to come up with? Let's see if you can guess who they are. Do you have any regrets about your time on Strictly at all? I think it all aligns. It all aligns, man. No regrets. It's the best thing I've ever done. I was able to first live a dream, but at the same time also showcase who I am, uh, my culture, tell my family story, inspire my daughter, inspire my siblings, my friends. I remember one of my closest friends, Ben, is a tough Ghanaian boy. He literally messaged me because I love you to the moon and back. Mm. He's never expressed himself like that to me, but he was so, he's like, I've never experienced this feeling. Today's guest is a comedian and presenter. Born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, he moved to the UK at the age of eight and settled in London. After having somewhat stumbled into comedy whilst at university, he has since become a household name. He's hosted the MOBO Awards, is a team captain on ITV's primetime panel show, Sorry I Didn't Know, and presents the official UK Afrobeats chart show on BBC Radio 1 Extra. And most recently, millions saw him putting his best foot forward and wiggling like a man possessed as part of the lineup for 2023's Strictly Come Dancing. Eddie Caddy, my guy. My guy. Welcome. Listen, a man possessed indeed. <laughs> the wiggle was honestly, it was like a it was like a it was like a wonder of the world, man. Listen. I, I heard you I've I've read recently that you described your hips as illegal. Which... Yep, yep. <laughs> Illegal it's... hips, man. They listen to no one. They listen to no one but just the instructions of the ancestors, as one would say. <laughs> Go forth and conquer, my man. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Thank I'm you so for looking having forward me. to talking to you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Let's start right there because it feels like it taps into what we're hopefully going to talk about and what I particularly loved about seeing you on Strictly and what I've loved about your comedy anyway, to be honest, is that it taps into where you come from. Almost everything is funneled through that. And you were you were teaching a BBC primetime audience about Congolese culture, Absolutely. you know, through the medium of dance, through the medium of flamboyance, through who you are. If I ask you, where's home really? Is that is it is it Congo? Is it just always that, or is it a little bit more complicated? How do you how yeah, do you kind of approach that question? There, there, it, it's definitely a mixture. Mm. You know, uh, it's a compromise. Mm. It's a collaboration. <laughs> you know, there's many words I could use in that space, but it it is that because I've spent the majority of my life, not just my adult life, my life in the UK. So the UK is certainly home for me. But in order for that to be a, a, a comfortable home, the foundations were set in Congo. 
So I came over here at the age of eight and I took, I brought Congo with me and a lot of things that I've established in my life have been based on the principles of two Congolese people, my mum and dad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. then it's like the contributions of uncles and aunties and the food that you're eating at home and the conversations that you're having and the do's and don'ts. They all come from that space. And then it's like, but I think that's what the UK is about. Like, you know, the great melting pot of the world. So, you know, that, that contribution of Congo is what I brought over. That's what makes it a comfortable home for me. In any way that I've done, whether it's been stand-up, presenting, the foundation of who I am and how I stand out, my superpower was always stem from Africa, always from Congo, and I'm very proud of that. Let's start with your place. Yeah. Where are you going to go for? I feel like I know, but as you say, your identity stems from that compromise of, yeah. of, of multiple places. But what place are you going to go for as the one that really speaks to this idea of home for you? Do you know what? It, so it it is a cluster of different places, but ultimately it's described as church. The idea of church that's defined me mm. from very young, mm. from before, you know, even left Congo to come to the UK, but especially growing up in the UK, mm. it's the Sunday rush. Mum saying, have you creamed your face? And <laughs> why is your face so dry? And I'm thinking, what guy, you, 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 what, you're gonna, you're gonna why are you worried give, about my You're going to have to give me a minute. I've got PTSD. <laughs> Remember that, Jimmy? It's like, well, yeah. why are you worried about my dry face when we're going to talk to Jesus? Why are you? Jesus will moisturize my face. How about that? <laughs> why are your trousers oh so God. long? Put on the right shoes. Yeah. Why are you wearing your AstroTurf boots to church? It, it was all that. It's a really, really good choice. And it's a fascinating one. And I think it will resonate with so many people. Yeah. But that point about questioning it as a child do you feel like yes. it's something that you've you've grown to appreciate as you've got older really and kind of learnt to to sort of recognize the significance of it because as you say it, when it's so central to your life as a as a as as an immigrant or as a diaspora it can be a bit confusing when you're a kid right that, that there is this onus there's this thing that you have to do that your friends don't necessarily seem to have to do I, thank you and that's it that's right you're right on the money it's like your friends i know what my friends are doing on a sunday do you know what i mean they did five aside football they've invited you countless times they've given up do you know what i mean but it's also the way i look at church is you you know this especially being african as well our mothers would take like five days to cook a good meal right but then when you taste that meal Oh, you're like, ah, oh, cool. Makes mm, sense every time. Mm. That's what church was for me. When I was younger, it was like every week, man, mm. Wednesdays, mm. midweek woman. But it set the foundation, it set a lot of principles. It's created the person that I am today, mm. you know, because of it. And it was more my mum. She was a prayerful woman. You know, it was time, it would be like, it's time for us to pray before we eat. And she'll take an hour praying. It's like, the food's cold, woman. But, you know, you then grow up and then she lets you fly out the nest and you go. And then you remember those things, those moments of hope. When you feel really low, you, you, there's a conversation. There's mm. someone available there that mom has introduced you to, you know? And mm. it's, it's, it's that for me. But then when you're younger, your friends are saying, come on, man, football, mate. And I can't, man, we're, we're, going, we're going to church. <laughs> you went to church last week. Yeah, I know. Well, we're going this week yeah. too. You went on Wednesday. Yeah. Haven't you already been today? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's crazy you came to the country as an eight-year-old. And I yeah. feel like that's probably quite significant. I've seen you talk previously about remembering that slight struggle of 
and you've turned it into some of your comedy of, of arriving and learning to speak a new language, learning to communicate, learning new behaviours. How did that kind of affect you and what role did comedy have in that? Was the comedian in you born at that point or was it already kind of there and you just kind of had to adapt it to a new language? I always say, I always think when it comes to comedy, I think, okay, when I was at university, you know, they asked, how did you get into comedy? So I was mm. at university and um, we put together a showcase at Kingston Uni and I hosted it and I was really funny. But actually th those foundations came much earlier than that. I think when you're trying to keep your head above water, when you've been just dashed into this deep end of a mm. new country, new language, new friends, and the language barrier was the one because I was a guy where I'm, the only words I knew at an early age, I don't know how, where I picked this up, maybe it was on the plane, maybe it was maybe my uncle that was going to an English school in Congo, but it was just like, fine. <laughs> and hello <laughs> and I got through some stuff with that you know the, at the barber's fine was alright <laughs> you know hello would do me yeah. that's you for the day he just but lined you up terribly and you're like fine he's absolutely. like wow. <laughs> mom coming back and picking your hair up from the floor saying give me back my money you know but it was literally at school the struggles of not understanding what someone is saying and then you now having to express yourselves just by body language, really. Mm. And, and me being stubborn and speaking to them in French or Lingala, my mother tongue, just straight back at them. There were people who took a liking to that character because the confidence came from, I don't really care what you're saying mm. to me. I care more about what I'm trying to say to you. You make friends with those who are embracing you for that. And it's like the food, the weather. Honestly, in Congo, I remember if it rained, we were looking forward to that as kids because the the water, believe it or not, is hot. So we're running outside and playing football in the rain. And a lot of people, when you say that, they imagine you being in, in, the, in the rainforest. They no, no, no. It's in the middle of the city. It's raining. We're out there kicking ball. Yeah. You know, we're playing tag. This was a real thing. Couldn't do that in the UK. No. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. like you'd be coughing after five minutes. But it's those things that define me then being able to go and the privilege of going, Oh my goodness, I get to see the world from two different sides. Let's stick with the idea of language right. and hit on your phrase. What are you going to go for? Brother, this one might just hit you right on the pancreas. It's very simple. You will grow into it. The foundation of that for me was clothing. Clothing, but it, there was other things that... It's almost like your parents say, you will understand when you get older. But right. it was clothing. It was the fact that, yeah. you know, if we go back to church or even school, where you'll get that blazer that's extra big. I'm a size three. Why am I getting a size four? You will grow into it. You know, sometimes hand-me-downs from your cousins and mm. your cousin comes over. They live in Tottenham. I'm down in Fulham. They come for the summer and they bring you some, some nice trainers. They've worn it. They've worn it a few times. Literally walking in their footsteps. It's literally, <laughs> and badly too. You know, slide tackling yourself as you're walking, literally. And, but it was that. And then you learn to appreciate that mum and dad made it work, man. Mm. They made it work. Mm. I, always, I always remember this like it was yesterday. And this is a real story. PE. Every Tuesday we have double PE. Physical education. And you're playing football one week and then you might do whatever the, the next week. And these trainers are now battered. And then you've gone, you've gone to your mom in the morning like, mom, I need new trainers. And it's almost like you're bothering her. 
What do you mean? I only bought it last week. Nah, man, you bought it two years ago. You bought it two years. You said I would grow into it. They've grown out of me. And then she's like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then the next morning you've, you've come and she's like, you've forgotten, mum, the train. She goes, I bought it. I bought it. Where is it? She goes, it's outside. I said, I haven't seen this by that blue plastic bag. Now, the blue plastic bag, Jimmy, was the bag that if you went to, I don't know, the local fruit sellers, mm. that's the bag they used to put all the oranges in. Mm. But your trainers are inside a blue plastic bag, which indicates where they came from. <laughs> and you take those trainers out, you're like, yeah, I'm going to get battered in school for the next five terms. And that was it, though. It was, yeah. it was the idea of them making it work all the time. And mm. it's like, you one day understand for yourself. And yeah. I do. Yeah. I get it now. There's there's a profundity to it as well, isn't there? This idea of you will grow into it. You will understand. You'll understand. And that is absolutely beautiful, man. And so true and so redolent of what I think a lot of people would have gone through. And I think similarly to the revelation about church or yeah. the deeper sense of understanding, I feel like it's one of those things that you really appreciate when yeah. you grow up yeah. and you're like, oh, wow, they were they were doing the best they could. I'm always really, really fascinated about the ways in which the environment that you grew up in and the way things were in your household that you grew up in yeah. is either carried forward into like how you live as like a as an adult yeah. or, you know, we had Big Zoo on the show and he was talking about his games room is like out of control in terms of his video game setup. Because yeah. of like, he didn't have, yeah, because of the lack. Like, is that something that you kind of, that you feel you've carried forward? Or is there an element, is there a sort of vestige of your parents still in you now? Or is it still taking shape in terms of that part of your childhood and home and how you've kind of interpreted it in adulthood? It's crazy because it feels like therapy now. <laughs> you saying that, I feel like you've triggered something. Like, I'm, I'm having to face my truth. <laughs> Because I won't stop buying trainers. Ah. What happens is you're now in a stage where you look at it, you go, swipe, oh, I like that. I can wow. get it. Yeah. I can yeah, get yeah. it. I don't need to knock on mum's yeah. door anymore. And it's yeah. literally, I knock on my own door. Yeah. But I can get it and I get it. And then it's like that moment of, oh, that feels nice. And I think that's all we look for. Because mm. you might put, put them on once and you don't see them for a year. And mm. you go, oh, yeah, I remember these. And then by that time, they're irrelevant to you now. Let's talk about the reason why, you know, you're able to travel, you you know, whether it's for work or other things. The trainer collection. Yeah. Comedy, you almost, to a degree, fell into it yeah. while at university. Yeah. What's your journey been with that? Because as you say, the thing that you lead with or the thing that a lot of comedians lead with is this is where I'm from. You know, the, this is my culture. Mm. These are the differences. These are some of the characters. You're almost in pastor mode. And then I presume you need to develop your voice. You yeah. need to kind of find other things that you're interested in and yeah. that make you laugh. You need to find your unique perspective. So yeah. what's that been like and your journey with, with comedy right from being inspired by certain people to, to, you know, where you are now? Yeah, I think I'm very privileged that with me, the foundation of comedy for me, it was almost like coming from a naive mm. point of view. I had no idea that I wanted to be a comedian. Mm. You know, you have people that go, I want to be a comedian. They, I, there has never been a moment, even up until now, wow. there has never been a moment where I went, I want to be a comedian and I'm going to be a comedian. Mm. I used to watch, I will see people like Steve Martin and, and Eddie Murphy and all these guys, right? And even Richard Blackwood and them, like me growing up, I didn't attach them to stand-up. Mm. Robin Williams, I didn't. 
I used to watch people like Victoria Woods. So on a Saturday night, they would come on, like Ronnie Cole. But these guys were funny people. But I never used to think, oh, stand-up comedian. I just thought, these guys are funny. Mm. That's like the people they are. Mm. And you don't understand that they are actually, you know, partaking in your development. Yeah. Right? It wasn't, I was at university. The idea was always finish uni for my dad to justify why I brought you over here because I could have brought your cousin and called him my son. You know what I mean? <laughs> really my son and then you'd have been the twin that didn't want that we left behind but it was that right so still playing in the rain absolutely bro I would have been K I would have been bending it like Beckham in the rain boy <laughs> but like it was that it was getting to university I was part of the African Caribbean Society and once again that always said do extracurricular stuff to add to your CV these are the things that you you think oh yeah big man is right mm. so I joined African Caribbean Society as a spokesperson then eventually like the president and we put together a showcase and you know everyone asked me to host it but actually at the time we wanted to ask we, we were asking a certain comedian to do it and they, we couldn't afford them as a student so I said I'll do it and it just ended up being a very funny showcase right and people started coming up to me from different unis. I was going to Kingston Uni then. You had guys from Brunel University, Coventry coming up to me and saying, can you host our showcase? And that eventually became me doing the university circuit, just hosting showcases. But it wasn't up until I graduated and I finished and someone suggested, you are a very funny host. You know, you should come to this comedy show and just perform these funny songs that you perform. And that's where it became like, I, I really like people's reaction because I could be me, very African with it, Innocently talking about, you know, um, what happens at home, why we talk in a certain way, and everyone in the audience start to relate. There was, a, I could feel a spirit of relief from a lot of people saying, mm. "Oh, you're repre you're really representing us." Yeah. You have to understand. Once I finished uni, I had a job, and right, that job lasted only a year because I got sacked because I took too much time off trying to perform. Right, and my right. dad said, "You will fail. You, <laughs> you have ruined your life doing all this." My dad didn't even come and see me for watch me do. But like perform for a long time because it was like, what is this yeah. clown behavior? Yeah. But when he eventually did, it was like, oh, you, 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 you've got something. Mm. When was that moment? It was, <laughs> so it was in North London, mm. um, Archway. There was a little showcase that was happening. Audience was probably maybe like 150 people. This was after years of a couple of years of dad being stubborn, and he was just like, my sister kept saying, you just go and watch him, and he came to watch me. And I, I always turn this moment into, a, it's you know, there's a joke that comes with it. But the idea, the reality of it is that my dad watched and he was just like mesmerized. And I could see him in the audience looking around and how impressed people were, how they were laughing and clapping. Mm. And the show finishes, the people queuing up to shake my hand of all different cultures and him sitting on the side, holding my coat, actually. And just, and then people, I was like, yeah, that's my dad. Oh, he's just, oh. And he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. his dad, I'm his dad, you know? But the joke is that I always say, I was in the audience cracking jokes for an hour and daddy's just looking around nodding. He's just nodding, nodding, didn't laugh, didn't crack a smile. And the show finishes and I've gone, dad, did you enjoy it? He said, that was the best performance I've ever seen. You are a talented, you are an idiot, I'm shocked. And I'm like, but you didn't laugh. He said, you was too busy nodding. Why was you nodding? He said, I was too busy counting the money. 20 pounds, 20 pounds. There's 150 people here. That's the mortgage paid. When is our next show? And that's it. Welcome back to Where's Home Really, where my guest is the amazing Eddie Caddy. My guy. We're talking about significant people in your life, so yeah. let's hit upon your person. It will always be this person. So, so before I mention them, it's, it's, it's to understand when I'm talking about 
dancing in the rain or playing football in the rain and going to church. When I'm talking about my first day of at school, what it means to be Congolese and those foundations, what always takes me back home if, when I get too carried away and, and think, oh, where, where, where are you from? You know, when I get lazy and I work extra hard because I go, this goes a, a much longer way than you think it does. It's my grandma. Uh, it's always been my grandma yeah. always will be my grandma she's you know she's left us now you know God rest her soul but she she you know no it, it's, she's in a better place number mm. one and secondly she's still she's around mm. you understand And but it's been her she you know any memories I have of Congo my earliest memories is my grandmother that's my mum's mum my parents had me young. They were like 18, 19 when they had me. So my grandma pretty much was there. Um, I stayed with her most of the time. She would hold my hand. We're going to the Catholic church every Sunday. Wherever she went, I was there. I almost feel like there was nowhere that my grandma was that I, I never went. I was always with her. She had a bar. That bar would open in the evening. But during the day, early morning, she'd take my hand and we would go to the local bakers and she would just buy all these baguettes and stuff and then we'll go back outside the house and she'll be selling them, you know? And and then at some point, we'll go to her farm, which may be like maybe, I don't know, an hour outside of Kinshasa. And we'll go to her farm and I'll just watch her do her thing. I'll get in trouble with my uncles and my grandmas that don't touch my grandchild, mm, you know? like Protective. Absolutely. Mm. And it's that. So then we move over to the UK and um, and it's like staying in touch with her mm. and oh, and wanting, longing to go. I didn't go back to Congo 18 years after we came to the UK. Mm. So it's like looking for her straight away as soon as we went there. And I would go back at least three times a year just to see her, you know, mm. until she passed. And it's like, she was always that. She was always the reason um, why I would keep working hard because I, when she got ill, I wanted to be able to say, I've got, I've got it. Mm. That mm. was my thing. That was yeah. my pride. I've got it. I've, I'll look after grandma. Yeah. I think what can be quite interesting is obviously your family or your family, but there's, there's people that you have a certain kinship with and you understand each other and it can be, it can be different generationally. It can be someone that you're, is, isn't necessarily connected to yeah. your like direct, like nuclear family or whatever. Like, yeah. Was that just, you just saw each other? She, yeah, do you know what? She just defined life, man. She was so calm, but yeah, she looked after so many. Everybody, you know, we lived on a street where we had relatives and I didn't even realise until I was older, but it's like, why did we keep going into different people's houses on this long road? It's because her husband literally had properties and he would invite relatives from the village to move into those properties so he can create his own little tribe there. But it was that. But this woman, everyone came to. She looked after so many people. She was very reliable. You know, um, but she was calming. And I, I'll tell you one story. So I might be five. I'm at my grandma's house and there's, you know, electricity is cut off just as it would every two, every two hours, you know, back home. And grandma sent me back into her room and she's given me this candle and she's gone, go and grab one or two things for me and come back. So I've gone in to grab it. I put the candle down. All her clothes were in the plastic covers you know the plastic covers yeah, I'm looking at your face now because you know yeah, where I'm going yeah, yeah. I've left the candle I've collected the plastic cover I'm proud of myself I've taken it back to grandma here you are grandma oh thank you and then she's like where's the candle and I go oh yeah but as we both look there's smoke coming out oh my goodness burn that entire room I burned that into I burned that entire room like literally there was no fire brigade we just watched I always remember being so helpless and people tried but there is, it burnt down man mm. and that was, I think that connected us more than anything. For the rest of my life, I was always like, I'm paying this woman back in installments. 
<laughs> when, every time I remember this story, it's like, this, yeah, here. Yeah. Everything went, photos, everything went. Mm. But she, and everyone was switching on me, but my grandma. Mm. Mm. And it was that. Mm. It was like, stop, stay away from him. People would remind me later on, do you remember when you burnt yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, people leave, won't let you forget it. Leave him alone, you know? And that's the connection that we had. She was very calming and just loving, and, and she always drew me back home. Do you have any regrets about your time on Strictly at all? Like, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because, it, you know, you roll the dice almost. Like, you know, you don't know at the start of the competition who's going to be in for one week. You were, you, you were there five weeks. You know, you had some amazing moments. You, you kind of, I, I thought you, you did brilliantly. And obviously you're doing great things now. But do you, yeah, how do you reflect on the experience? I think it all aligns. It all aligns, man. No regrets. Um... I, it's the best thing I've ever done. The mm. hardest, mm. the best thing I've ever done. It's, I would remember sometime during um, the training, Monday and the Tuesday, when you're getting this new routine and you've gone, I, how do you like, expect me to get this done in four days? <laughs> and you struggle through it. You know, there's times when Karen would send me for a nap. God, take a nap for an hour, Ed. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Because you know I have a short attention span. Sometimes I'm just, like, she'll be speaking to me, bro. I'm doing a mannequin challenge. I'm just watching her, bro. <laughs> What's happening? And she would apologize in advance. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. Monday and Tuesday, it's going to be a hard one. And she'll be really tough on me. Then the Thursday comes and you've got the routine. And I kid you not, tears drop. Because you're so in it. Mm. Tears drop. You start punching the floor. Like, I can do anything. It was those feelings every single week. And then meeting some of your, some of the people that you watch, like Les Dennis, yeah, you know, yeah. like watching Family Fortune when you're younger, you never think you'll be next to Les Dennis. Yeah. And then your dad meeting him and your dad's first word saying, hello, Les, show me the fortune. I'm like, dad, that was never a phrase in Family Fortune. It was never a phrase. Hello would suffice, father. <laughs> you know, but it's those Just moments. Just making up his own, yeah. own catchphrase that he's quoting Bruv, to him. <laughs> but, it, but it was like, there was different like sort of departments of appreciation and mm. understanding that, you know, it's a full circle moment. But no regrets. I think within those five weeks, I was able to first live a dream Mm. You know, it made me really fall in love with showbiz because everybody behind the scenes are amazing people. Mm. But at the same time, I also showcase who I am, uh, my culture, tell my family story, inspire my daughter, mm. inspire my siblings, my friends. I remember one of my closest friends, Ben, you know, and he's like, Ben's five years older than me. We went to uni together. He's a tough Ghanaian boy. And him saying, literally texting me because his, his wife was, he's a big Strictly fan. And I invited him down to come to the show and it was a dream for her. But him sitting there when I did the Man in Black and got my, you know, my first mm. 10, he literally messaged me because I love you to the moon and back. And I've never... He's mm. never expressed himself like that to me, yeah. but he was so, he's like, this, I've never experienced this yeah. feeling, you know? And it was that. And all those things achieved within five weeks and making a good friend in Karen and her becoming my sort of Mr. Miyagi, mm. you know? Mm. I, I cannot regret, cannot yeah. regret. Did you feel like, because clearly you talked about Congolese culture and importance of dance and yeah. representing that and thinking of yourself as a, as a, as a dancer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Was there ever a moment where you, I don't know, you felt like that was almost held against you, that you are rhythmic, that yeah, you, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I wonder, I always wonder yeah. on the show sometimes if there's this, there's this kind of feeling that if you can sort of razzle dazzle, that the judges almost kind of like come down on you yeah, a bit remind harder. You, they remind you, mm. they remind you, but I think the judges also, they saw my card, man. They understood that, you know what? It's beyond dance for this guy. Mm. Straight away. Because mm. from the beginning, I did say, I said, listen, they, yeah, they the judges, but they're my best mates. 
You know I mean? They're my maintenance engineers because I've, I've come here to learn something different. It was beyond dance for me because they would use that word. You, you have musicality. I'm oh, like, yes. just say rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, you know, let's call it spade a spade. Don't be using these words yeah. I can't spell. This is taking forever. Yeah. Just say rhythm. You know, you've got musicality. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, what is that? <laughs> but it, it's that. I think it was a reminder of, you know, you've got rhythm and you, you, you've got the source, you know, mm. however you want to put it. But, you know, in this world, we look for something different, and I respected that. We've not really talked about food, even though it's such a vital component in African culture generally, yes. and I know Congolese culture and, like, you know, West African culture. So what are you going to go for? What is your plate? What is your dish? What is the taste that is home to you? Ah, yes. So I'll say in Lingala, it is loso madeswa musuni. So that is rice, with white kidney bean stew and beef. Mm. My goodness, that. And you know, and I can replace the rice with kwanga, which is like cassava, you know, boiled into, and then it's like wrapped in a leaf and it's pretty hard. It's almost like mashed potatoes, but 10 times harder. Right, That's how I right, describe it, okay. right? And it, the Ghanaians will call it eba, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like you know, mm. it's that. It's um That meal for me is just what will always, even if my mom said the craziest thing that will annoy me, you know, African parents, they knew how to apologize with food. They will say, oh, they will regret your existence. Look, I wish I had it. I wish I had another girl. Why would God give me a boy who can't even just put Vaseline on his lips, embarrassing me at church every week? And you're angry. You're a failure. You can you look at your mock results. You are mocking us. That's the only, <laughs> all those things they'll say. You go, go upstairs and you go upstairs. You say, am I adopted? Like what happened? Are these my real parents? And then about half an hour later, come and eat your food. And you come downstairs and you can smell it and you go, you know what, it's not that deep, you know. <laughs> would, would, it, would it always fall away that quickly or would you kind of hold those like... You hold it. Hold those grudges and would there ever be, as well as the food, would they kind of... Well, let me put it this way. Would the food be almost, you'd feel like she knows she went too far? She does. She, and, and the thing is, that feeling will go away in installments. It does. Mm. That first bite you go, all right, Let's 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 break this down. Let's let's <laughs> let's dissect this as we digest this, you know. But it's it will go, and then she sits down and she comes and she goes, "Do you want some more?" And you go, oh, "This woman, you're a charmer, isn't it? You're about you turning it on. You're, you're a wow, charmer. this apology. This is very she's, good. She's begging now. Yeah, and then she'll put extra meat. She'll put the beef, the extra, you know, because the beef will be inside the white kidney stew, yeah, just swimming. Yeah, yeah. And wow. then she'll put the extra meat, and she say, "What well, would you like to drink?" You say, "Well, here we go, woman. I forgive you." One of the things that I quite often finish up on is this idea of your culture or heritage and its impact on the wider world. When you think of Congolese culture, obviously you've had a big hand in people's growing interest and knowledge in Congolese culture, but what do you how do you how do you see it? Like it's a it's a misunderstood country in many ways. It's rich and abundant in in a lot of kind of really meaningful senses and maybe challenged in others as a lot of African nations are. Yep. How do you kind of how do you see it in terms of its its wider impact? I think Congo's always been a big part of a global culture. People just didn't realise mm. it. Now we have social media, information gets shared around a lot quicker and a lot wider. So then people like myself who are very aware of those information are able to deliver it, especially being at the forefront, being able to deliver it in a way that people can digest easily. Mm. You know, so when we do talk about the idea of the impact of Congo 
And a lot of people just hear Congo, they think, oh, yes, it's the war. Then you realize, actually, you know, it's the second largest space, you know, in Africa. Mm. It's a massive terrain. Mm. So then we have the, the second largest rainforest in the world, the deepest river in the world. And then, you know, some of the world's most important minerals come from Congo. And then you start talking about the contribution to technology and where that comes from. Then you look at history and then suddenly it's like, People that used to laugh at the way Congolese people dressed. Suddenly you're looking at the catwalk, you're like, well, you're all dressing like that now. Yeah, yeah. You're all dressing like that now. But it's, it's, that, it's that impact. You know, dance is the same thing where they talk about rumba, music coming from Congo and going all the way to South America and the Caribbean. And then, you know, it, having this full circle moment where the world celebrates this style of dance. But it's it's all of those things. And then you go, well, actually, no, that's a, you know, it's a big contribution. Mm. It's a massive contribution. And I think, Every now and then I'll go and I'll go online and then people will send me information on my own country mm. and they're shocked. And that's the great things about um, me doing sorry I didn't know. It's it's the idea where people sit down and they go, Oh, what did it? Congo. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it it's never about talking about the challenging side. I think enough people are mm. taking on that space. And what that does is it makes people stay away from visiting the country. What I like to do and go, oh yeah, that is happening, mm. in the, especially in the eastern part of Congo, but it is so big. It's like, if you're in London and something is happening in Germany, you'll be mm. like, yeah, it's, you know, we need to figure that out. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. London is where it's at. It's, and it's that same thing when you go to Congo, there's so many things to see, so much enjoyment to have. Mm. And, you know, you, you almost don't want to leave at a certain stage, but that's the energy that I try to put out yeah. into the world. Eddie Caddy, you're making it better for Congolese kids, for African kids, and for all of us. My brother. Um, thank you so much for joining me, bro. That Pleasure's was, all mine, man. Thank you for having That was incredible. Thank you for this therapy session. I'll be sending you the bill. Um, <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> honestly, love that, bro. Thank Appreciate you, Appreciate you. See you soon. And I love your work, my brother. You know this already, Thank man. you, man. Keep doing what you do. Thank you, brother. I don't know if... I've ever had my face hurt so much from laughing and smiling. That was just unbelievably good. I was a fan from Strictly and a fan of his comedy, but I just didn't realise what a sort of beaming life force of energy he is, how sharp he is, how honest he is, how funny, how frank. I absolutely loved it, you know. Uh, so many stories, so many quotable lines, but just thinking of him and his grandmother that bond was so special the idea that his dad went to his first comedy show and immediately was counting the amount of money that his son could make but also in the same moment being proud it's just the essence of what this show's about uh eddie caddy what a start and what a joy to have him on so that's all for this week's episode of where's home really with me jimmy famarewa you can catch up on all the amazing stories we've featured in Series 2 via your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to give us a follow and leave a little review to help us spread the word. And we also have a website. Take a look at whereshomereally.com for all sorts of interesting bits and pieces about the series. It is also a very good place to go to revisit our whole back catalogue. From Podomo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really, hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen is Kelly Redmond. Until next time. <laughs>